Uh, Matthew 5 is where we're going to jump in. So if, if you were with us last Sunday night, uh, Sunday night was, it was an amazing experience uh, here at the cannery. Uh, just a few feet in front of me, we, we set up that horse trough that we fill up with water when we invite people to come and be baptized. And one of my favorite moments in our church every, uh, every couple of months is these public baptismal celebrations where people come together and they just celebrate these moments where people are saying, hey, not only do I need God to do something in my life, but I just wanna go all in with Jesus and his mission. I wanna live as a disciple. And so last week we had this incredible moment where all of these people um, were getting baptized. And you know, one of the highlights for me of, of last week was my 11-year-old son, Micah, got baptized, which was so cool. And uh, yeah, you can celebrate that if you want. So it's so fun to just celebrate and, and to see all of this stuff that was happening. But right after he got baptized and we were cleaning up the room, kind of the evening was over, we were folding up chairs. This guy in our church came up to me and he said something that just really has stuck with me for the last seven days. He said, I cannot wait to see how God is gonna use what happened in this room tonight to change the whole world. And it was this like audacious and from our logic, kind of an insane <laughs> statement, like when you think about it just from human terms to go wait, like, you know, a group of people getting in a tub of water in a bar in downtown Nashville, like, like how's that gonna change what happened on Broadway? How's that gonna change what happened, is happening in Washington, D.C.? How's that gonna change what's happening in our nation or amongst the nations? Like, in, in some ways, you know, you just think about it from human perspective and you go like, how does that thing change anything? And yet what my friend was tapping into, he was, he was tapping into this beautiful kind of transcendent vision that Jesus has for humanity. Like what happens when a person, like an ordinary person who had been entrapped by sin, filled with sin, wrestling with sin, suddenly surrenders all of that in the hands of Jesus and is liberated from it, filled by the Spirit of God and is sent out into the world like with this brand new purpose and mission. And my, my buddy, he was just kind of tapping into this reality that, that what we're witnessing last week was not just a moment of religiosity. It wasn't just a moment where a handful of people said, I'm gonna try harder to be better. <laughs> it was this miraculous inbreaking of heaven's grace and mercy and love and power where people were being pulled out and then sent out in the grace of Jesus. And it was one of those moments where he said something that I knew, and yet as he said it, I went, yeah, but do I really know that? Do I really know that? Do you really know that? Like, did we wake up on Monday going, whoa, the whole world is fundamentally gonna be different because of what happened here last night? Or did we wake up going, oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> See, what I love is, is my friend, he tapped into just like this, this little stream of, of Jesus's vision, Jesus's wisdom, Jesus's heartbeat for what he wants to do through your life and through my life when we surrender our lives fully to Jesus. See, discipleship, apprenticeship to Jesus is never just about the management of your morality or the stewardship of your time or the reigning in of your tongue or your habits, although all of those things will happen. When Jesus gets a hold of a human being, it changes them and it begins to impact all of the people that are around them. So whether we understand this or not last week, it's like we just, by the grace of God, sent people out. 
And by the grace of God, you know, even as we gather again this Sunday, the, the Spirit of God is saying, hey, and I'm still sending and resending people out. So if you've been with us all summer, every week, we've just wrestled with what does it look like to live as followers of Jesus right here now in downtown Nashville and the places where God has sent us to live and to work and to play. And every week we've just talked about practical implications of living alive as followers of Jesus. And up until this point, for the most part this summer, as we've talked about discipleship, We've talked about it through the lens of how it changes you and how it begins to impact the way we do life together as a church. But over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna turn our eyes outward and we're just gonna wrestle with, okay, Jesus, if we're really following you, how is that blessing and benefiting the people around us who don't yet know you? How does our friendship with you, Jesus, make life different for anybody else around us? Because that's one of the key pieces in the grand vision of Jesus's life for you, for humanity, for his church, kind of here in the midst of what we're doing. So I love this moment in Matthew chapter five, and I'll just give you a little bit of the cliff notes, kind of how we get to where we're going this morning. So you get to the end of Matthew chapter four, and Jesus has, has gone viral, and he's gone viral, you know, not in the negative sense as, we've think, as we think about the viral over the last year, virus over the last year, not in the technological sense as we think about it in our culture where you think about someone having a, a ton of followers at a distance online or uh, via video. It's like, no, Jesus was going viral in the old-fashioned way where people were so captivated by his life and his love and his leadership that they were dropping everything, doing whatever it would take to get close to this guy that was not just teaching a great message, but was backing that up with the fruit of his life. And so you get to Matthew chapter four, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, where Jesus, he shows up in all of these little synagogues in the region of Galilee. If you've ever done the math, there's 179 little villages and towns in Galilee, 179 synagogues. And I don't know how long it took Jesus to hit up all of them, but he shows up in all of them and he comes with this profound message that not only has God shown up to offer forgiveness and grace and life, but he has shown up on this rescue mission to pull people out of the junkyard of life, to pull them out of the cul-de-sac of dead spirituality and addiction and broken marriages and heartache and all of those things that we give ourselves to. Jesus shows up to rescue us out and then to send us out with a renewed, restored sense of who we've been called to be in the first place. So in Matthew chapter four, Jesus shows up and it says he goes to all of these little synagogues and he's preaching, he's teaching. And then along with that message of love and grace, he begins to heal the sick and to cast out the demons and to, to raise the dead. In other words, he didn't just talk about the kingdom of heaven, he demonstrated it. And it says people were showing up from all over the place, from little towns that had faithful synagogues that preached the goodness of God the Father. And it says people were also coming from the cities of the Decapolis, places where people had not grown up hearing about the goodness of God the Father. It would be like in our time saying, folks were coming to Jesus from the Bible Belt and folks were coming to Jesus from Seattle and from New York and from Dubai. And it's like all over people were showing up. You get to the end of Matthew chapter four and it says, the crowds gather around Jesus and he begins to teach them again. And I love this moment because he begins to explain to them what had just happened. He had just touched their lives. He had just healed their lives. He had just released them from uh, the, the confines of sin and addiction and brokenness. And he said, now let me explain to you what you just witnessed. And so he goes on to say, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. You know, the first part of Matthew 5. And then comes this audacious, listen to this, guys, this audacious, 
almost absurd invitation of Jesus, from Jesus to these people to live in this brand new way of life. Listen to this, starting in verse 13. Jesus looks out at them and he says, you are the salt of the earth. I love that you're the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by people underfoot. He says, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. I love this. And Jesus says, so in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I love this moment, guys. Jesus looks out at these heart sick, formerly addicted, people struggling with everything you can imagine them struggling. They were into backwards religion. They were dropped into all sorts of kind of weird spirituality. They didn't know which way was up, which way was down. And Jesus rescues them out of that. And he says, now let me explain to you my vision for your life on the other side of what just happened. And there's all this cool stuff that Jesus says here in these four short verses, but a few were just kind of jumping off the page at me this week. If you're the, the type of person that likes to take notes, I, I love where Jesus begins. The first thing that I noticed, number one, is this, is that Jesus begins, he looks at these people who have just been rescued out of the cul-de-sac of sin and brokenness, and he looks at them, and the first thing he does is he challenges their perspective on who they are. He challenges their perspective on who they are. I love this. You look back at the beginning of verse 13 and 14. He says, he says you are. <laughs> you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He doesn't look at them and say, hey, you could be. You should be. <laughs> You eventually will be. You should seek to be. You should strive to be. That's not what he says. Jesus looks out and he goes, you are. You are. You are the light. You are the salt. You are my agents of transformation in the world. And don't you know, like there were some people that were sitting in that crowd that were going, Jesus, I've been saved for like 22 seconds. There's no way that's true of me. Like there are people in that crowd that are doing exactly what you're doing in your heart right now. They're going, okay, maybe that's true of her, true of them, true of that family, true of that guy that grew up in church, true of that person that never wrestled with this thing. That can't be true of me, but I love this. Jesus, Jesus shows up. He rescues us from the pit, and then he immediately begins to challenge the way that we perceive ourselves. He says, this is who you are before you believe it, before you feel it, before you've lived into it, before you even experience it. This is who you are because who you are has been shifted, not based on your performance, your goodness, your religion, based upon my kindness, my grace, my transformative power. He says, this is, this is who you are. See, so often, especially in church circles, the, the longer we live in church world, kind of this sometimes weird little cul-de-sac of religious subculture. If we're not careful, the longer we're in this world, we begin to believe that humility and false humility are the same thing. And so sometimes under the guise of false humility, we say things that are theologically incorrect that actually keep us caught in the old life that we used to live in. So we'll say things like, you know what, I'm, I'm just a nobody. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a struggler, and I understand the heart of it because we all still sin, we all still struggle, we all still wrestle with how do we live in the thing God has called us to be, but that's not how Christ sees you. 
That's not what Jesus sees in you. And so you've got to decide, is Jesus a truth teller or not? Is his perspective on your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, too good to be true or not? Is it too lofty or not? He shows up and he doesn't say, you, you could be, should be, will be. He says, you are. You are. It's who you are. This is who you are. You know, my, my family, we are Olympic junkies, mostly because my wife is an Olympic junkie. She loves the Olympics, and she's discipled all of our boys in this. And so, like, when, whenever the Olympics roll around, it's just, like, insanity in our house. She decorates a house. Only person I know that decorates a house for the Olympics and decorates a house for the Olympics. And every year or every few years when the Olympics come by and there's the opening ceremony, she'll have us all dress up in ridiculous costumes and take pictures. And, like, I mean, she, like, loves the Olympics, and so we have a friend who is a part of Ethos, and uh, uh, back in 1984, he was a gold medalist and silver medalist swimmer in the 1984 Olympics, which is, that's my wife, by the way, that's pumped about that, and so you can see, like, the, the, the excitement is genuine, and so he was a gold medalist, silver medalist swimmer, really cool story that we'll have to share in another time, but earlier this week, we were watching swimming, and I'm, his name's Dave as well, great name, love that name, and i and, um, I'm like, I'm just gonna call Dave and see if he'll FaceTime with us as we watch swimming. I mean, because how cool to FaceTime a swimming gold medalist as we're watching it. So, so I, I, I call him and, and try to get him to FaceTime with us. He doesn't answer the call, but um, he calls me back later and says, hey, um, we'll do you one better. How about you guys come over to our house on Saturday night and we'll eat dinner together and you, the kids can put on the medals. And I'm like, can Sydney put on the medals? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he's like, sure, you know. And so uh, can we put on the medals and can we, can we experience the Olympics together? And so he's like, yeah, so we came over. And so last night we're sitting there and, and it's just amazing. I'm trying to figure out how to steal this thing and sell it on eBay. And it's like, just awesome time together. But there's this moment where after he had kind of told us these stories, Sydney asked him a really simple but profound question. She said, was there a moment in your journey toward becoming an Olympian where something shifted in you and you really began to think, I might be able to, to do this? And he made a statement that just really just kind of made an impression on my heart. He said, he said uh, we're about a year and a half out from the Olympic trials. And he said, on paper, there was no reason that I should have made the team. He said, but I had one coach who looked at me and he said, from here on out, you need to start thinking of yourself and speaking of yourself as though you are an Olympian. He said, because you have what it takes and you're willing to train for what it takes. He says, but until something shifts in the way you think, you will not step into the thing that you're made to do. I thought, man, that's so, so simple and it's so profound where, where Jesus, he looks out and he goes, hey, because of what I've done in your life, this is who you are. You are indeed salt. You are indeed light. But until there's fundamentally been a shift in your perspective, you will never experience what God has made you for. See, Jesus starts by, by challenging our perspective. But the second thing I notice is he never just challenges our perspective. He begins to expand our understanding of purpose. So he doesn't just come in and speak to us about our identity. The second thing that he does, he expands our understanding of purpose. And he goes, hey, when, when you step into that water, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you begin to follow me as a disciple, it's never just about your forgiveness. It's never just about your morality. It's never just about your comfort or your strength or your blessing. He says, your purpose goes so far beyond that now. 
that no longer is the, the purpose of your life to make a little more money or to make it to retirement or to get married or to, to raise kids or to go on a third vacation or whatever. None of those things in and of themselves are wrong. But he says, you've been put on earth for a purpose and the devil hijacked that purpose somewhere along the way and by my grace, I've rescued you and I am now restoring you to that intended purpose. And I love this. Look back at verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, you are the salt of the what? Somebody shouted out, you are the salt of the, the earth. The earth. I mean, these people had never traveled more than 40 miles from the place where they were born. Never set foot in a car, never got on an airplane, never seen the internet, never seen a photograph. And Jesus makes this audacious statement about what he has just done in them by the power of the Spirit. He says, not only am I changing your perspective of who you are, I am raising you up into a higher purpose. And that higher purpose won't just touch your friend group or your family or your neighborhood or the nation, but it'll go to the end of the nations. And don't you know, there was somebody that was sitting in that crowd just like you going but does he really know me <laughs> like really like is that really true Jesus said there's a higher purpose for you and I love just the brilliance of Jesus, the way that Jesus teaches. He would take things that they would use every day and he'd use it to explain their divine purposes. He, he would take something like salt. You know, for us, we think of salt as a condiment that just is there to give a little extra flavor. Although salt was used to flavor things during their day, Jesus was not looking out at the church going, hey, you're just a little bit of extra flavor in a meal that's already delicious. In their day, before there was refrigeration, before you could keep meat stored longer than the time that you would take to kill it and cook it and eat it, salt was first and foremost, it was a preservative. It was something that was used to keep things from decaying and rotting. And so listen to the metaphor that Jesus uses. He says, listen, I know that I just pulled you out of decay. I just pulled you out of darkness. But because of my work in you, you are now the transformative agent in the earth to prevent other people and other things and other places from decaying. Man, what, what an unbelievable, audacious vision for life. Jesus says, you are the one that when you see marriages falling apart at your workplace, you are the one when you see a friend rocked by an addiction. You're the one when you see someone caught in a worldview that is bringing them harm. You are the one by the grace of Jesus that I have sent there to be the transformative, preserving presence in their life. He says, this is your purpose. You're the salt. He goes on, he says, maybe that metaphor doesn't work for you. He goes, you're the light. You're not just the salt of the earth. You're the, you're the light of the world. You are the one that illuminates darkness. You're the one that, that shines light into those corners of your family's history that no one wants to speak about, that, that keeps bringing brokenness. You're the one that, that shines light on the, on the failure of secular ideas that don't bring the flourishing of humanity, but actually bring humanity to its knees. You're the one that brings light into addiction, into heartache, and into sin. And, to, and he says, and you do this in such a way that when people see you do this, they go, whoa, the glory of God is there. 
He goes, this is, this is your purpose. And it's this audacious, like he, he stretches, he expands our perspective. He, he gives us this increased purpose. He looks out at people who had been saved for no more than 30 seconds and goes, and this is who you are now by the grace of Jesus. My question is, do any of us really believe it and live as though that's true? Do we really believe that what happened here just seven short days ago by the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit will become the hope of the city? <laughs> or do we just go, oh, that's nice. That's cool. See, Jesus has a much bigger vision, much, much bigger vision for what he wants to do. What an amazing, what an amazing vision it is. You know, I think over the last year, all of these conversations that I've heard and that I've had and just to be clear, I actually agree with a lot of the sentiment of what's been shared over the last year, year and a half. People go, man, we look at the culture and things are just getting darker. Things are just getting more sinful. And I, I wanna be clear, I actually believe uh, the Bible teaches that as we approach the return of Jesus, that, that the world is indeed gonna get more sinful, that it is indeed gonna get darker. That is a biblical truth, that is a biblical reality. But so often when I hear followers of Jesus talking about that, I almost hear this lamenting sense of the world is getting dark and there's nothing that we can do about it. And here's what I love is Jesus says, he says, you are, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the one that I send towards the darkness, that I send towards the decay. And when you show up by the grace and the power of the Spirit, things actually begin to change for the good. Like, have you ever noticed? It takes just a little bit of light to make darkness no longer dark. <laughs> you noticed that before? Just a little bit of light. You can be in a, a dark cave and you light a match and all of a sudden your eyes begin to adjust pretty quickly and it's like, wow, it doesn't take much light to light up the darkness. Have you ever walked into a room and you flipped on the light switch and as soon as you flipped on the light switch, the, the light bulb burned out? <laughs> Have you ever shouted to a roommate or to a friend, hey, the darkness won! <laughs> it's not what you shout, what, what do you shout? You shout, the lights went, come on, help me, the lights went out. See, we know if darkness wins, it's not because the darkness is more powerful, it's just that the light has gone out. If things are decaying, it's not because the decadence is stronger, it's just because the salt has lost its saltiness. And Jesus goes, this is who you are. And guys, living as salt and light, sometimes we make it so complicated, I'm just telling you, Sometimes living a salt and light means that God is gonna send us across the world, send us across the nation, send us across the city, but a lot of times it just involves God sending us right across the street. <laughs> and sometimes being salt and light is just as simple as seeing the need in somebody else's life and serving that need, meeting that need. Think about during the pandemic, there was a, a young woman in our church who's raising young kids, and honestly, she just, every day, it's like, how can I just survive and get through and make sure these kids are alive? And some of you young parents, you know the way that this goes, but kind of in the midst of trying to raise kids and teach kids in the middle of a really challenging year, she started noticing some of their elderly neighbors up and down the street that couldn't get out for groceries. And she just said, you know, every week when I go to the grocery store, every week when I go to the grocery store, I'm just gonna ask them if they need anything. I'm just gonna use it as a moment. I see a need, I'm gonna meet a need, I'm gonna serve in the name of Jesus. And it's just crazy what God does. Simple moment, salt and light, salt and light. Sometimes salt and light comes through just a simple moment of service. Sometimes salt and light comes when we live these kind of subversive, 
subtle lives where we are just pointing to the goodness of Jesus in places and in ways that make others curious. I think about a friend of mine that's a part of our church family. And a couple of years ago, he's a real evangelist and he got this job at a huge corporation here in the city. And he's like, all right, there's a whole new mission field. And so he just comes out of the gate hot, you know? And so like first few days, he's like talking to his team. He's like, I'm a follower of Jesus. And if you have questions about Jesus, and he's just like preaching in the workplace and, uh, you know, HR shows up and uh, they said, hey, you can't do that here. And he said, well, my friends of other faith here do that. And he said, they said, well, we know, but you can't do that here. That's another story for another day. But he just started asking God, hey, God, would you make my life so contagious, so beautiful, so attractive that the people on my team would ask me, what is it that kind of gets me out of bed in the morning? Salt and light. Salt and light. Just Sometimes it's serving a need. Sometimes it's living a life right in the midst of what God put you in that's so beautiful and so curious and so different and so holy that people ask questions and you have the ability to respond. Sometimes salt and light is a supernatural reality. Think about a friend of mine that's a truck driver. And we were recently talking just about how overwhelming that industry is with, with uh, alcohol addiction and sex addiction and opioid addiction. And he said, Dave, he said, what my friends and coworkers need, they need more than a few steps to put their life back together. They need more than, you know, just a, a self-help book. He's like, they need a miraculous touch of God. And I said, so what are you doing in that moment? And he said, well, whenever I find someone at rock bottom, I just ask if, if they would give me the permission to just pray for an inbreaking of God's power in their life. It's because there's times when being salt and light goes beyond my ability to say the right thing, do the right thing, show the right, it's like I just need God to touch their life. And I love this moment. Jesus looks at these people just like you and I, they've been rescued out of all of this stuff and he goes, here's a new perspective on who you are. You are. You are something new because of what I've done. And here's your new purpose. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth, the, the city on a hill that can't be hidden. And, and, uh, but before he wraps it up, he gives them one more thing. He says, he says, but in the midst of all of this, this new perspective and this, this new purpose, he said, you have to watch out for some common pitfalls that will rob you of what God's made you for. Because here's the truth. This way of life, of living a salt and light, it is available to you, but it is not an automatic reality. It is available, but it is not an automatic reality that just because Christ has rescued you out of something that you would begin to live into your full potential in the kingdom of God. So it's interesting, look back at verse 13 with me. It's what he says. He says, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world, a town built on a hill that can't be hidden. So neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on its stand so it can give light to everybody in the house. I love this because Jesus, he just so profoundly speaks to the reality that we are in right now as a nation, that we are in right now as followers of Jesus in the midst of a nation that is constantly being shaken, Jesus is gonna say, hey, listen, there's this beautiful purpose that you can step into, but you've gotta watch out, to, you've gotta watch out for two really common pitfalls. And I just want you to notice how relevant this is. He says, on one side of the road, he's like, it's like you're driving down this road with me and there's a ditch on either side. He's like, one of the ditches is that in an effort to love the world, reach the world, and serve the world, you would become so much like the world, you no longer have anything to offer the world. I'll say that again. Jesus says, in an effort to love the world, serve the world, reach the world, 
there's this temptation to become so much like the world that we lose the ability to be of any use in the world. It's what he talks about with salt, losing its, its saltiness. Guys, I know this isn't popular, but my job is not to win a popularity contest. It's just to tell you the truth in love. Is that we live in a really strange moment in Christian history. <laughs> we live in a really strange moment where words are being redefined and worlds are being redefined and, and words like love and tolerance and all these things are being twisted and the scriptures are being shaped into it and all of a sudden followers of Jesus, their lives are getting to think like and look like and act like and love the world all around them and we're curious as to why the world isn't interested in the Christ we, we proclaim to know. Jesus says don't lose your saltiness in an effort to love the culture, to reach the culture, you must, you must maintain your distinctive qualities and natures that actually benefit and bless the culture in the first place. So don't lose your saltiness. Don't trade in holiness for relevance. When God shows up to his people, he doesn't say, be relevant. Now what does he say? He says, be holy. <laughs> Be holy, and I'll teach you how to meet people where they're at. It's the beautiful reality of, of who Christ is. I remember years ago, a friend of mine, he, we become good friends. I didn't know him when he moved here. He came here from another, uh, another country. He grew up in, uh, in a country where uh, he had never heard the name of Jesus, spent his whole life in an Eastern religion, uh, comes to the States on, a, uh, on an athletic scholarship, um, to, to play sports, ends up getting recruited by a Christian university. He didn't even know it was a Christian university. He just came to play the sport. And so he shows up at this Christian university. And for the first time in his life, he just starts hearing the name of Jesus and the message of Jesus, being around people that are worshiping Jesus. And he, he was captivated by this idea that someone would love him, would pursue him, would long to transform him that much. But there was this real barrier to him and his faith. And so for several years, he was wrestling with the message of Jesus but he just couldn't step into it. And so years later, he became a follower of Jesus. And I said, hey, what was that barrier for you? And he said, here was the barrier for me. He said, the barrier for me was getting to know Christians in Nashville. He said, this was the barrier. He said, because the same ones that would preach Jesus and sing to Jesus and talk about Jesus. He said, many of them were having sex with the people that they were dating, just like my secular friends. Many of them were drinking just as much as my secular friends. Many of them were using their words just as much as my secular friends. They thought like the world, they talked like the world, they lived like the world, except on Sunday mornings, they'd use their time just a little bit differently. And then they'd be deceptive about what everything, everything they did on Saturday night. And I was like, oh. And if you're in that moment this morning, like you, where you've just been living that duplicitous life, I'm telling you that the grace of Jesus wants to rescue you out of that, but there is more for you than that. And Jesus says, be careful that in an effort to reach the world, you don't lose your saltiness. He says, that's one ditch that you become so much like the world, you no longer can bless the world. But on the other side of the road, there's another ditch that's just equally as dangerous. He says on the other side of the road, it's those that are the light of the world, but they've been held up under a basket so their light isn't shining for anybody to see. Guys, in a world like ours where the culture, a cancel culture that we all live in, like one of the deepest longings of the American heart is to 
please and approve the people that are around them. It's the reason we're so addicted to social media. It's the reason that we're so drawn to so many things because it feeds that itch in us. And I just wanna speak kindly but prophetically to this, guys. When you need the whole world to like you and love you, you will lose all of your boldness. Until you know that you are perfectly, wonderfully, beautifully loved and sufficient in Jesus, you will never be able to live the fearless life that God has made you for. And so what ends up happening is on the other side, instead of being compromised by the world, we actually become cowards in the world and we hide and we think all the right things and we believe all the right things, but we hold them to ourselves and they are no longer of any benefit to the people around us that don't yet know Jesus. Years ago, I became friends with a guy that spent most of his life away from God, uh, away from church, didn't really know much about this world that we find ourselves in. And through the grace of God, he becomes a follower of Jesus, gets baptized and shows up at work and starts telling his friends at work, hey, I got baptized, I got baptized, I got baptized. And he said, all of a sudden, followers of Jesus just came out of the woodwork. Hey, I'm a Christian too, I'm a Christian too. He said it was like he stepped on an anthill and all the ants just came out. And he said, in that moment, he's like, wait, where have, all, where have all these Christians been the last five years when I've been in this workplace? He said, none of them tried to evangelize me. None of them shared their life with me. None of them shared their heart with me. <laughs> he says, it's like there was some secret society that revealed itself the moment I stepped into the team. And that's here in Nashville. <laughs> We're not talking about Seattle or San Francisco or New York, like in Nashville. And guys, there's gonna be this grand temptation in your life in the midst of our cancel culture moment for you to be deeply faithful to Jesus at home in private amongst your already convinced Christian friends, but to live amongst the lost as though you're just like them. And Jesus steps into that and he goes, man, I've got such a bigger vision for your life. He goes, let me challenge your perspective. By my grace, by my touch, this is who you are now. Let me expand your purpose, that your life is about so much more than you. You are the salt, you are the light, you are the restorative, you are the preservative, you are the illuminating reality in a dark world by the grace of Jesus. But as you try to live into that, watch out. Watch out for those ditches. Where in an effort to reach the world, you become like the world, or in an effort to protect yourself in the world, you hide from it. I love what G.K. Chesterton said, if you've ever heard that name before. He said, Jesus, by his grace and power, makes us absurdly happy and unbelievably fearless, and he leads us into constant trouble. <laughs> How's that for a quote? <laughs> by the grace of Jesus, he makes us absurdly happy, unbelievably fearless, and he leads us into constant trouble. Guys, being salt and light means we are drawn to the darkness. We are drawn to the heartache. We are drawn to the pain. And we believe that the Spirit of God will intersect our lives there and something big will happen. And so here, here's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna, we're gonna take communion together. We're gonna pray together. During our time of prayer and communion, if you, if you have questions about following Jesus, if you're sitting here and you're just wrestling this out, we'd love to talk with you. Come into the Respond Banner. We'd love to pray. If you're online, reach out to us in the chat. We'd love to reach out to you and serve you that way. If you have any prayer requests, you can come up and receive prayer at the Respond Banner. But here's what I want to invite you to do. I'm going to pray for us. And then I just encourage you, circle your chairs up. And there's going to be three questions. Uh, go ahead and put those questions up on the screen, please. 
are three prayer points. And I just wanna encourage you to pray into these prayer points after you, 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 or as you take communion together. The first one is that you would just invite God to show you where he is calling you to live as salt and light. Hey God, would you show me where you're calling me to live as salt and light? Show me the areas of pain and brokenness in my life. Help me to live into that. The second prayer point, God, would you help me to live faithfully in the midst of the darkness? Let me rub off on the world as opposed to the world rubbing off on me. Let me be a transformative power in the world as opposed to the world transforming me. And then last but not least, Lord, would you make me fearless? Would you give me boldness? Would you give me boldness in the midst of the world that we're in? And so I wanna encourage you, I'm gonna pray over us and then circle up your chairs take the communion together, thank Christ for his forgiving, restorative work in your life, and then spend some time praying into this, and we'll wrap up with the time of worship. Father, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you. And I thank you for your audacious, heavenly vision for our lives as we follow you as your apprentices, as your disciples. Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that every person that was baptized this week that you would supernaturally reach down and you would let them know that they are salt and light. They are agents of transformation. Would you make them faithful and fearless as they live for you in the world? God, for everybody else in the room that's already following you, would you renew our purpose? Would you renew our perspective? Would you call us into what you have for us? Make us fearless and faithful in all of the places where you've sent us to live and work and play. But we do this this morning, Lord, as we break the bread and as we receive the cup because we recognize that this reality only flows out of your kindness and grace and mercy toward us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and give thanks, amen.